Hey, everybody. I wanted to apologize real quick for my audio quality on this podcast. Unfortunately, I didn't have my microphone plugged in and I was recording through my laptop microphone, which is obviously not nearly as good as the equipment we usually use. So I do apologize that, but the content's still great. Also, since we've recorded this, we have a play of Testament up on the YouTube channel as well as the YouTube stream channel. So come by and check it out at either of those locations if you want to see live gameplay as well. And now back to our regularly scheduled program. Hello and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter and I'm here with Mike. Hey everybody, welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Yes, and this week we are together. I, I mean, that's what we do. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Usually you introduce the game, but I got confused. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. Yeah, we're, we're doing Testament, which is a recent adventure card game from Japanime Games. And uh, then we're going to have a design discussion about, tell them, Peter. About building on others' designs. So taking something like deck building or, you know, whatever the system might be and expanding on it. And when it's okay to do and when maybe it's a little too close. That's right. But uh, before we get into that, what have you been playing recently, buddy? You know, I've been playing a lot of Testament <laughs> in a lot of <laughs> uh, We'll get into that at the end of the discussion. But uh, yeah, no, I I, I kind of got it from you a couple days ago, along with some other games, and I just kind of buried my head, and that is all I've played lately. But what I am excited to do, and by the time this podcast comes out, we will have done it a week ago, is play some Marvel Champions with you, because we haven't done that in forever. Yeah, and, and uh, one and two player are my favorite player accounts for that one, so I'm excited to get into it again. Yeah, and I spent part of today building decks for it, so we're going to do the uh, the Wizard and Wizardess Supreme, I guess. <laughs> we're, we're doing uh, Doctor Strange and Scarlet Witch, so that excites me. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited too. So how about you? What have you been playing? Uh, not a lot since we talked last. Uh, right now I have Wild Ascent on my table, which is another one of those miniature-like boss battler ones with a settlement, kind of KDM-ish. Boss battlers are popular. Maybe that should have been our design discussion for today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got some rough points that apparently they're maybe going to uh, iron out with a 1.5 Kickstarter. It's starting in uh, a few weeks. But uh, there's parts I like about it, too. I'm kind of curious what you'll think about it if you get the chance to play it. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I let you filter through all that stuff first, and uh, I take on the best of the best. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's what you guys hear is uh, you guys don't hear a lot on the podcast that isn't what we think is the best. Although every once in a while we sneak in uh, one that we don't like. Yeah, but I mean, you're right. I don't try to pass along games to you unless I enjoy them. So it's pretty rare for us, to, both of us to not like a game at this point. Absolutely. But something else we're looking forward to playing, I guess this is going to be our what are we looking forward to play segment this week is Time Stories. Yeah, yeah. So we played uh, the demo of like the new edition, or not new edition, new series, new season of Time Stories, whatever you want to call it. It feels like a new edition, right? Like they, they redid the mechanics enough for me and you, who were kind of burnt out on it, to be excited to go back and try it again. So I'd call it a new edition. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So the big thing for us is uh, in the original mm -hmm. Time Stories, for those who never played it, it's kind of like a mystery figure out how to like solve this time paradox thing but it did sort of the groundhog day thing of repeating over and over again and not in a fun way <laughs> you know it'd be fun 
is to get Jamie Stegmeyer back on because he was on our original Time Stories episode because it was his number one game of all time back then. And I'd be curious to see what he thinks about this new re-implemented edition. Well, yeah, I mean, he loved the old one so much, he might really dislike some of the changes. But yeah, for us, at least from the demo we played, it seemed better. So I guess we'll see how we feel when we actually try out more of it. Cool. Anything else that you're excited about? I got a couple uh, newish Stonemeyer games uh, I'm going to try. And then uh, probably the biggest like next thing I'm covering is On Mars, which is a Lacerda, like super heavy game. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but... They sent me the prototype of the uh, expansion, which has both solo and cooperative scenarios. I know uh, Lacerda did CO2 or whatever it's called, Second Chance, and that's fully cooperative. But I'm curious to see like how something like On Mars does with full co-op, because uh, I'd like to play more than Lacerda. But the only one I played before, Gallerist, I did not enjoy the solo mode. So I'm hoping like solo and co-op for this one is better. For sure. Uh, I, I, I don't know how excited I am about that one, because that's pretty heavy. And you know me, when I'm playing games, I uh, <laughs> I do not like to use my brain as much as I do for the rest of my life. It is my downtime. So when something gets too heavy, it it kind of pushes me the opposite way. But we'll see. Uh, I'll be interested to see how you feel about it. Because if you run it, you know, a lot of times I'll just play in it. And that's not as much of an issue. Yes, yes, yes. It'll, it'll probably be something I'll bring over at some point. But uh, anyway, before we get to our Testament review, let's thank some of our Patreon supporters we really appreciate everyone who reviews the podcast, subscribes to the YouTube channel or the streaming channel. All those different ways of supporting is on our Discord. But especially our patrons, they help to defray the cost of putting on the podcast, buying games, buying equipment. I know Steve has been going uh, a little wild trying to get like all this stuff together for doing like these really uh, cool streaming uh, plays. So definitely helps out a ton with that. So uh, this month or this week, we'd especially like to thank Leon Newton James Patterson and Regan Green. So Leon, James, and Regan, a thank you to the three of you and thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We literally could not be doing a lot of what we're doing without your help. So thank you so much. Hey, and I'm upgrading my uh, streaming rig as well. Linda just bought me a desk lamp, something with a little bit better lighting, hopefully. It's kind of touted as something you do for like video conferences and stuff like that. So hopefully my lighting will be better on those streams. Because I know at one point people said Steve made me look like poop and I haven't streamed with him since then. (laughs) Yeah, that's great, man. Yeah, and my new microphone, I think I've got it like all the filters and uh, enhancements I do after the fact in my processing down. So I'm really liking how the uh, my new videos are sounding. So, yep, keep keep paying it forward, trying to make our content as good as possible. Absolutely. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get into Testament. So I will talk a little bit about the theme, and the theme is there. I was actually surprised. I I went and did some research this time. Apparently, you found some crashed alien spaceship or some crashed alien artifact, something like that, in your time. And the king is sending people in to, like, try to figure out what's going on there. And, you know, this big army of people couldn't figure it out. So then he's sending in small groups. And now basically it sounds like you're like a vault hunter or something like that. (laughs) You're going in with your little team of people and uh, you're fighting different encounters, starting with a boar, which is like in the base camp, like this alien artifact turned a normal boar into this like attacking boar. And that's like level zero and all the way in the end. And I guess it's a little bit of a spoiler alert, but there's a dragon in the middle and his name is Testament. So that's where the Game got its name, which I had no idea why it was called that until I read this theme literally after I played through the entire thing. 
Yeah, like they, they got like a little comic book that kind of introduces you to the characters and like some narrative stuff in the rule book. So you can totally ignore it. But if you want to get into like the backstory, it's definitely there. So yeah, to go into the uh, mechanics, this is, and we'll definitely talk about this. If you've played or seen Heroes of Terranoth or the Warhammer Quest adventure card game, both from the Saddler Brothers, there's a lot here that might seem similar. You have a team of four heroes. Each one generally has four action cards. And uh, on the hero turn, each hero gets to tap one of those cards, turning it 90 degrees, to activate its power. It could be attacking or healing or buffing or debuffing, that kind of stuff. And after all the heroes have gone, then whatever enemies you have out will attack with like their little actions, doing damage to you and debuffing you and summoning other enemies. And in each of the stages, and there's six stages in the game, you're kind of like progressing through with uh, more and more enemies being spawned. And you can sometimes use actions to kind of skip spaces so you don't spawn some guys. And eventually you get to a boss at the end who always has three stages and a bunch of hit points. And you got to defeat the boss kind of through their three stages to advance to the next level. And whenever you advance, you get to level up one of your action cards. So your action cards start out pretty puny, but by the end, if you make it all the way to the final boss, you've got like these huge, super powerful level three uh, cards. And uh, whenever all your cards are tapped, they all get unexhausted, so you get them all again. You can also just use your entire turn to rest and unexhaust them. There's also this aggro mechanic where some actions will add uh, aggro tokens to you, and then enemies will choose to target you over other people. Uh, but we'll get into a lot of that, I'm sure, in our design and uh, review discussion. So uh, we can leave it there for now, I think. Yeah, so if it's your first time joining us, thank you. What we do here is we talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which we feel is the least important, all the way up to number one, which is the most important. But of course, all five are important or we wouldn't be talking about them. So I will start today, and my number five is the theme, which I just went over. And like I said, I played through the entire campaign and had no idea what the theme was. And it didn't matter because basically you're just going in, you're killing a bunch of monsters, and then you're fighting a boss at the end. So I'm going to compare it a little bit, though, to Heroes of Terranoth and Warhammer Quest. I remembered them having better theme. And maybe part of the problem is the theme integration is not on the monster sheets themselves, but it's in the rulebook. And so you'd have to open up the rulebook. And to be honest, there is a continuing story. I read through the whole thing tonight. And it's kind of a neat story. I just wish they had put it on the boss sheet itself. There's plenty of blank space on there. I'm not really sure why they didn't add the flavor text there. It would have been easier to read and people would have probably read it then instead of going back to the book. So I think that was a little bit of a miss there. And also with Warhammer Quest and Here's a Terranoth, I think they did a better job diversifying the missions, meaning you weren't always just going in, killing monsters and then killing the boss. They did other stuff. I think I remember that anyway. And here it felt like it was really just going in and fighting a boss each time. So I think they could have done a little bit better job with integrating the theme into the mechanics that way and not just making it always kill these things, go to here. It makes it a lot easier to intro to. So I would love to see, actually, I don't mind this as a base level game, but I'd love to see in an expansion them really try to flush out the story more and maybe add in a couple more mechanics to make each mission feel a little bit different. Yeah, and that goes a bit into my number five, which is that this game is kind of a roguelike. Uh, for those not familiar, uh, roguelike, kind of this term comes from, I think the original game was called Rogue, <laughs> which I've never played, but that was like a computer game. 
But often they kind of uh, take the form of these dungeon crawlers or adventure games where the challenge is super duper high, but you get to level up consistently and kind of power up. But uh, if you die, you have to like repeat the entire thing. That's like sort of the, the general formula for a lot of roguelikes these days. And I'm not saying that this game necessarily follows all those rules, but that is kind of the feeling I got from it for better or worse. And this is going to depend a lot on your taste because on the positive side, you do have like some randomization in uh, what you do each time. Your characters can develop in very different ways. I'll talk more about those kind of things uh, later. And also, if you like a very tough challenge, I think the bosses are very challenging and the stages can be very unforgiving. But at the same time, it can, uh, you know, feel like you're just repetitively fighting like Peter already talked about, like uh, the, the kind of variance in what you're doing isn't huge. And then also it just can be, I think, punishing and unforgiving and you can like make a big uh, small mistake and die horribly. So that's not going to appeal to everyone. I think you need to be ready for a challenge when you play this game. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's funny you described it as a roguelike because I described it as a boss battler. And that's my number four. Yes, you are fighting enemies and stuff like that. But really, you're just fighting bosses. I mean, that's the bottom line. Yes, the enemies are there. They get in your way. And, you know, you have to make it through this gauntlet of minions to try to get to the boss. But really, it's the same thing each time. You're going to go to a new space and that space is going to have a number on it. And it's going to say three. That means you draw three little minion cards and you place them out in front of you. Or there might be fire behind it. So it might say two with fire behind it. And that means two of them come out and they attack you right away. Normally, they don't attack you till the end of the round. So a lot of times you can kill them or at least deal with the worst of them. So you're just going to have this line. and It's going to be very similar each time you play. And they have these cool key spaces in the boss uh, line as well, which basically if you get there and there are no enemies left, you do one permanent damage to each of the three phases of the boss. So they start with a little bit of damage on them already. So your goal is to try to clear them by those key spaces. But even if you don't, it still gives you a space to kind of rest and catch up a little bit. Maybe you have five enemies on the board and maybe that, key space lets you clear two or three of them so that way when you're adding more enemies the next time you don't have as many on the board so it's interesting how this line is different every time they also have these threat tokens which do different things depending on the boss themselves so there's a little bit of variance between the bosses but it really is very similar they just present a little bit different challenge and the minions are pretty much the same as you're going through as well while the bosses are a little bit different i do think again this kind of goes back to my number five which is The theme is there, but not. I think it's really just, it more feels like what you're talking about. You're just progressing to harder and harder levels. And you have to up your ante, and you're getting better skills and better levels yourself. But the enemies are leveling up with you. Yeah, and and I'll talk about that a bit more, but I I definitely agree with you. Yes, my number four is something we haven't mentioned yet. But this is a very consistent (laughs) point I make with all these kind of games. I feel like it's necessary to make it. And that's uh, how kind of player count works a lot of games like where you have to have four heroes or you have to have x number of heroes this is another one of those and i think that means that it's going to play best at solo and maybe two player but three and four you're losing something and in kind of a few ways first of all the actions are very quick on your turn so you might not feel like you're doing enough if you're playing like four player where all you do is like tap a single card and resolve your action on top of that the intricacies of kind of chaining your actions together and managing your actions in the right way to deal with the enemies 
is going to mean like you have to be very kind of careful in how you plan things out. And I could see some arguments or some alpha playering since there's no like random elements and hidden information. Like if one player sees like the potentially best way to deal with the current situation or what have you. And then on top of that, there is uh, definitely the real possibility in the game of a hero being knocked out for a while, or even being knocked out for the entire stage. Uh, usually it won't happen unless you're playing terribly until you get to the boss. But still, I think at uh, the full four player count, you could potentially be sitting out for a little bit. So I'm not saying don't play the game with three or four players, but I think you would have to be the type of group that likes sort of collaboratively discussing a puzzle and discussing the strategy without feeling like fully attached to your one singular character. But I do think the game is going to be at its best solo and two player, which might uh, be totally attractive to you or might limit its uh, <laughs> its versatility for your play group. Yeah, and I'll get to this point a little bit later, and certainly in my final thoughts, it's going to be a big part of my final thoughts. So I'll, I'll hold off on that. But my number three is that there is a little bit of luck in the game, and that is with these dice you roll at the beginning of the turn. So not only the minions that come out, I guess that's a little bit of randomness in, introduced as well, although I felt those were pretty well balanced. So yeah, you might get some harder ones or some easier ones, but really at the beginning of the round, you're going to roll these dice. And they have everything from one like little squiggly mark on it, like a lightning bolt, which moves you down this track of 13 spaces. And when you get to the end, one of your heroes gets to like unleash their ultimate power. So it might move you up that track, or it might have a star on it, which these stars boost your abilities. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later on, so I won't get too into details. But you might get two stars, or you might get two stars and roll the dice again. And so you can keep going. I've had as many as six to eight stars on turns. So it's a little bit swingy as far as what abilities you're going to be able to activate. You're going to definitely have better turns and worse turns for that. A lot of times I found after I killed all the enemies and my power bar was fully charged with all these lightning bolts, that's when I'd roll two lightning bolts. So I had no stars to, to do anything with on that turn. Uh, and you know, when I really wanted lightning bolts, I could never roll them. And when I didn't want lightning bolts, I would always roll them. So uh, there's definitely some luck of the draw in that. But I think it's still a pretty neat system that really just adds to the puzzle of the game. So, yeah, I, I really like how the, the dice stars puzzle kind of worked at the beginning. And, and Mike said it right. It is a puzzle, and I'll get, I'll get into that more again with my number two. Yeah, and I, I didn't like make the, the focus or force dice, whatever they're called, a point by itself, but I totally agree with you. And personally, I think the randomness is needed. I think it, the puzzle might become stale on repeated plays, but having like every turn, you're not quite sure what resources will be available to you and you have to like kind of figure out how you want to assign them. I think that that makes the game kind of a better experience overall. But getting to uh, my number three, it, it's really a lot like your number four, Peter. I think the uh, enemies and bosses can be pretty varied. I do find them to like have like kind of fun different powers and they also have different power levels, which, you know, again, might bother some people because there's like some swinginess and what comes out. But I think it gives the game much more kind of breadth and interesting kind of decisions because sometimes you'll get like some real weenies or sometimes you'll get one incredibly strong like enemy and a bunch of like weaker ones and you got to really like focus your efforts. So it again just kind of uh, fleshes out that puzzle in an interesting way. I do agree with Peter that the bosses are pretty different but aren't like incredibly different. What you're doing is similar. This is kind of back to Peter's point about like scenarios and maybe like varying things up. And I, you know, I'm not sure if the game has like infinite legs. There are lots of things that give it good replayability. We'll get to those, at least for me, in a second. But I do think that like the actual structure of the game and the boss fights themselves aren't going to feel too different on repeated plays. 
Uh, which is not the worst thing in the world. Like I said, there's something else that keeps the game fresh, but it's just something to be aware of, I think. Yeah. So my number two is the card activation. And what I mean by that is you exhaust a card, as Mike said earlier, or tap it or whatever you want to call it, and you do whatever's on the card. But these cards are varied. So there's like six different classes. You have like melee fighting, you have magic attacks, you have healing, you have buffing and debuffing, you have armor and defense. So you have a a bunch of different stuff that you can do. Oh, and there's even one for movement where you can move along the track further along, but it might put you at a disadvantage because it might move you into other stuff as well. Of course, you get to choose when you get to do it. So I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of really cool stuff you can do with the cards and the card activations. And they're all very simple, but they combo together and they chain together in very satisfying ways. Because not only do you get the top part of the action, like the heal two or whatever else, but on the bottom, it might say, use one of those stars that you rolled earlier to give yourself plus two damage or plus two damage and deal three damage to yourself. So it gives you interesting choices and combos. And not only within an individual character, and I'd say almost mostly not within an individual character, but mostly from character to character, and you form this chain of actions. Like, okay, you do this, so I can do this, so the next person can do this. And because of that, as Mike said earlier, I really think this is a solo game. I mean, I think you were being generous to say solo to two-player. I did not have any desire. Now, I didn't ever play it two-player, but I didn't even have desire to play it two-player because... As you said, I could see myself wanting to alpha. It's like, no, that's a terrible choice, what you did there. And even character building, and we'll get into that later too, I'm sure. Like, I can't even imagine trying to figure out what skills who's going to take or whatever else, because they're so interconnected and so intertwined. But for people who love a solo puzzle, for people who love Mage Knight, for people who love Spirit Island and playing like even multiple spirits and solving this amazing puzzle, I think this game has that in spades. I think you're going to love it. But because of that interconnectedness of the characters and things like that, I don't know that this is a multiplayer game, honestly, even though it's a co-op game. I I prefer it at solo. I think it'll work for many groups. But yes, I mean, I I totally see what you're saying. I think it's something to be aware of. All right, Mike, what's your number two? Well, I I feel like we're going to be passing each other because your number two is my number one. And we'll get to that in a second. But my number two is probably your number one. And that is building your team and leveling up and choosing abilities And I said this to Peter, this is kind of how I got him interested in the game, I think. I was like, hey, it kind of reminded me a bit of Adventure Tactics, not just in the Japanime theme, but also that you're building up your characters in whatever diverse way you want. You've got uh, these multiple different colors of ability cards, and each of them have like the same level one card. Or sorry, uh, let me clarify that. Like all of the white healing level one cards are the same, or all of the blue defense level one cards are the same blue defense card. But then they branch out in like two different two op- level two options and four different level three options. But the cool thing is, well, cool if you like this kind of thing, you can build your team however you like. You can give one person every healing card. You can give each person a healing card. You can give uh, two people all the defense cards and give other two, uh, two people like all the attack cards. So I think there's like a lot of cool kind of interest there. I know that even when I wasn't playing the game, this is a game where I was like kind of thinking about builds and thinking about like how I might try things up. Now, the the negative here, and I think Peter might get into this too, 
is that I think there are better builds and worse builds. And this is not a game where you can just like make whatever random thing, you know, uh, Steve, this is for you. <laughs> if you make like whatever <laughs> random build you want, you're going to get murdered like mercilessly. But that doesn't mean it's not fun. Just be aware that like some things will work better than others. Like, I think uh, this was true in, in Heroes of Terranoth and Warhammer Quest as well. I think, like, attacking is maybe sometimes a little bit stronger, and, like, you need to have consistent damage. That's just kind of common sense. You need to have some healing. You need to have some taunting, like, that kind of stuff. But uh, I do find it, like, really exciting, and there's, like, I want to play it again and just do wacky things, you know? And, and they do have ways to vary the difficulty so you can make it easier or harder. So, you know, you can do, like, a really crazy build and just give yourself some free uh, level-ups or whatever to kind of make it work. But I personally found the uh, the character building and the team building and the leveling up a ton of fun and really like activated my mind, kind of like my deck construction sensibilities. Uh, how about you, Peter? I assume this is your number one, right? Yeah, by far my number one. I mean, this outweighs and outshines everything else. This is the reason I couldn't stop playing this game. I couldn't wait to level my characters up. And I mean, the level ups aren't. Well, no, they are pretty substantial, actually. I was going to say they aren't that substantial, but no, you can really branch off in really very different ways. I do agree with you. I don't think every path is as strong as every other path, but you're right. I thought about this game a lot when I wasn't playing it. Whenever I wasn't playing it, I wanted to be playing it. So when I first played it, I played with the standard teams right out of the book. And I think that's fine for level zero and maybe even level one. Going to level two, level two is when it gets real. Like, like it definitely gets real for real. And uh, yeah, those characters were not cutting the mustard anymore. So no, I loved being able to take a pretty basic character sheet, which tells you you get one little buff at the beginning, and then you have one ultimate power, which I think the ultimate powers for me were kind of neat. They're, they're part of the puzzle, but they didn't really differentiate the characters that much. In my mind, what differentiated them more was the one little buff they might get or their hit points might be different or they might be able to hold on to more buffs or or things like that. So the characters weren't necessarily different that much, but you got to build a cool different character based on what color cards you put in, whether you put in the red cards for melee attacking or whether you put in the spell attacking. That felt very, very different. Whether you put in defense cards and, and what combination of those you used. And they have a really neat system where in the upper right of every single card, it tells you whether it's worth positive or negative points. So this was a really good and clever way of balancing it. And the more positive points you had, it meant typically that the, the cards were, I guess, a little bit weaker, but it's going to give you a, a number score at the end. So you might be negative three or you might be positive five. That will change what rank, quote unquote, your character is. And all that means is how many hit points you have. So if you use a lot of weaker cards, you will have a higher hit point character or a lot of defensive cards. They tend to leading toward that. Whereas if you're using a lot of magic cards, so there are characters that are clearly you could tell by their special powers or whatever. They're designed to be mages. But I was making those characters into my monks or whatever else I'd called them um, where they were doing a lot of the attacking. And maybe they didn't have as many hit points as if I'd given it to somebody else. But it was a, a neat combination. They had special advantages that helped that character be better. So just the combination of the different characters you had and the different skill cards and how you could put those together in infinite possibilities is really cool. Now, as Mike said, I made a build that, that I was really happy with right off the get-go. I think I want to change one card from my characters, and I'm super happy with that build. But then, you know, I thought of other builds I could do. Are they going to be as strong? I don't know, but there's only one way to find out, and that's playing. So 
for me, this is what kept getting the game to the table. I love how diverse the characters are. I love this in games. So if you liked Adventure Tactics because of that, I I think you're right. I wasn't a huge fan of Tyranoth or Warhammer Adventure Card Game. I thought those had some weaknesses that I wasn't real happy with, and especially because the characters were pre-generated for you, and they told you exactly what you had to do to, like, unexhaust your cards. All, All that is fixed here. I think it's way better in this game. Even though the story's not as strong in this, I think the gameplay is better, and certainly the character customization is better, and I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, and I forgot to mention the whole thing about kind of balancing cards by how many hit points they give you, basically. I loved that, because every time I was like, man, this card is awesome, it would like hit you with some horrible negative. Oh yeah, it might be be negative four or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I was like, yep, that that makes sense. Yeah, you know, it reminds me a lot for, uh, this is going way back to those who played on the Nintendo Entertainment System. The original OG Final Fantasy role-playing game, that was a fun one in that you could have whatever mix of characters you wanted. You see people playing like in videos with four black mages or four white mages or four monks, you know, and (laughs) this kind of reminded me of that. Like you could just make like a crazy group and it might not work out at all, but it's still fun to just play around with it. Yeah, and they do limit it, uh, just so everybody knows, there's only four of each card, so there's only four red melee attack cards. And I think if they opened up that possibility space a little bit, I I can't imagine what would happen, even if they just added two more red cards, right? How, how the builds might change, or if they added two red cards that did something completely different than the other red cards that you had. You know, so you had an option of six red cards or whatever. That way you could build like two melee characters or three melee characters. Whereas now I feel like you're a little limited. You really want to build one or two. Uh, I mean, it would be cool if you had a party of four, but I I just don't, there's not enough cards and intentionally so to do that currently. And so um, I can't wait for expansions for this one. I really can't because I, I, I think they can do a lot. I think they did a great job for a base game. I get into final thoughts here. I'll let you go. Mike, what's your number one? Wait, and I don't want to. I don't want to spoil your mood, uh, Peter. But Japanime games, from my understanding, pretty much just ports over games from Japan. But yeah, um, I, I don't know if there's like any plans to ever make an expansion for this. This might be all that exists. Kuro is the designer for this one. I think he also did uh, Unicornist Knights that you uh, played. Oh, and he did uh, Ravens of Three Sahara Re, <laughs> which I played with uh, Jason Perez when he was over. Yeah, so he's he's designed a lot of cool things, but yes, I, I would not promise or expect that there will be anything any more content, unfortunately. Well, we'll see. I fingers crossed. I got my hopes yes. up. All right, but uh, yes, uh, my number one is pretty much what Peter already said. I think uh, the the chaining together of actions, the puzzle of doing your actions. Peter tends to like leveling up slightly more than me. I, t- I tend to like the like card play puzzle slightly more than him sometimes. And this is one of those cases, but I love it. I think it's great. Uh, the one thing that Peter didn't mention that I think is genius, uh, maybe my favorite. A change, if you want to say, like our design discussion of this game was maybe inspired by Heroes of Terranoth. Uh, my favorite change is the aggro mechanic. So not only are all these skills ranked differently based on how much they affect your life total, but they're also the actions add one or more of these aggro tokens. And as I mentioned earlier, they uh, determine which enemy is going to attack which player. And it just really ramps up the puzzle even more because it's not just which action do I want to use, but it's which action do I, you know, use so that I'm the one who's, t- you know, so that I'm tanking for our wizard. Or uh, if I do this attack, I'll be target number one for every enemy and I only have five hit points left. So I think it really uh, ratchets up the considerations you have to kind of have going on and 
the thought process you have to put into each of your turns. I think it, uh, you know, if you like MMOs or any of those games where like taunting and aggro and pulling are a major concern, I think this game does it in a really cool way. I've seen it tried to be done in other ways. Like lots of games have a taunt skill or something. I found this one one of the most intriguing systems I've seen with really very rule, uh, low rules overhead. It's just like whoever's the most tokens gets attacked. And if you're tied, then it's based on rank and it's very simple and straightforward. Yeah, no, and and it varies, and they even do things like remove your taunt tokens, and so that's how enemies will vary a little bit, too. So it's like, oh, my tank's always taunted, because he's, like, you know, the one with the most taunt tokens all the time. I'll keep my aggro low on my other characters, but wait a minute, now this enemy comes along, and he removes my aggro tokens, so now somebody else is getting attacked that I wasn't necessarily expecting. So, no, I think they do a really good job with that aggro system. Uh, it is very neat. The only problem I had with it, it's just a little red dot on, like, It'd be like two attack with a red dot with a one in it. And I would forget that sometimes. I uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it doesn't necessarily jump out at you. No, I agree. Well, Peter, you kind of started getting into your final thoughts while you uh, finish up what you were saying. I mean, I love this game. I, I think you knew that going in that I was going to love this game. Like I said, I could not stop playing it all week. We had design stuff we had planned. We had all this other stuff planned. It all fell to the wayside. You know, you gave me uh, what was the other big miniature Solomon Kane which, uh, you know, I think was probably people would be more excited to hear my review of that. But I couldn't even I haven't even opened the box yet because I started <laughs> playing this and I couldn't put it down. And that's why I have no other games played this week, because uh, this one has taken over my mind this week. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Now, I did play through the and, and beat the boss now. And so I am probably going to take a little bit of a break from it. But it's something I definitely look forward to coming back to and trying to build different characters and really trying to go through it again. But I've had a blast with it. I think it's a fun game to binge. And I think there's plenty of content there to keep you coming back as well. So, uh, yeah, no, huge recommend from me. Yeah, and I'm not like as high on Peter. Well, no, I'm totally high on you, Peter. You're amazing. But I'm not as (laughs) high on the game as uh, Peter is. I really, really enjoyed it. I just think it's not going to hit everybody as well. Like, again, I think it's best solo, maybe two player. It might be a little too hard for people. You really need to, like, kind of get into those builds and be curious about trying out different uh, combinations. You need to like the, like, tense, challenging card play. The enemies can, like, play the exact right action and totally ruin all your plans, although you can see what they're going to do, so it's not really going <laughs> to surprise you. It's usually you're going to feel like you made a mistake yourself. But if you're into all that, I think this is a really, really good... Really tense, really well done card game. The price is not too high. Uh, if you like Tears of Terranoth, if you liked Warhammer Quest Adventure card game, if you like challenging boss battlers, I think this one is definitely a winner. I think Peter will probably end up keeping my copy, but it doesn't mean I don't like it. It just means he likes it more than me, <laughs> which happens sometimes out here. Well, and I'll say, even if you don't like Terranoth and Warhammer Adventure card game, those weren't my favorites. And I like this, even though the base system is similar, I think they change enough here to make it better for me. Although I do see some of the weaknesses versus those systems, for me, it was definitely better. So I don't think you have to like those games to enjoy this one. All right. So that's our review. Uh, definitely a recommendation for Testament from Japanime Games. Check that one out. And uh, let's get into our design discussion. How do we feel about games building on, you know, standing on the shoulders of the games that have come before them? I don't know for sure if Kuro had played Here's of Terranoth, and or Warhammer Quest Adventure card game, but I would not be surprised at all. <laughs> if I mean, I, I can't over. imagine that they came up with a system that is as similar as it is. Now, there are some definite major differences, but it is very similar 
in the gameplay aspects. I think the elements surrounding the gameplay, it's very different. But as far as, I mean, you're exhausting a card and doing what it says. And then once they're all exhausted, you can, you unexhaust them. Or in this, in that, in Warhammer adventure card game, you had to play a certain card to unexhaust your other ones. In this one, you can do it at any time you want. You just unexhaust them all and you actually remove some aggro from yourself. So it has other benefits. And that's how you also trigger your ultimate ability. But I mean, gameplay, it's, it's literally almost a, a carbon copy of that. Right. But this is not the first time that's happened, right? I mean, you look at deck building. Deck building started with Dominion, right? And then there's been a million since then have built on those mechanics. So let's start with that. What are your thoughts on using, and I mean, even the Saddlers themselves, who designed Gears of Terranoth and Warhammer Adventure Card Game. Look, If you look at Street Masters and you look at Sentinels of the Multiverse, they were clearly <laughs> inspired by Sentinels of the Multiverse, right? Now they added a board and, and physical play, but I think this one added enough too. But but what are your thoughts on how close is too close? So it's an interesting question because like one that really stands out to me and you brought up deck builders is, is it called Puzzle Fighter? Is that what it was called? Puzzle Strike. Puzzle Strike. Thank you. Puzzle Strike. So if you aren't aware of what a Puzzle Strike is, they, uh, you know, when Dominion came out, clearly everyone was like, hey, let's make deck builders. And Puzzle Strike is one that is very, very similar to Dominion in many ways, you know, and, and it was so close to like when Dominion came out. And a lot of them were like this, like, oh, they all have to have a 10 card starting deck and they all have to have you draw five cards a turn and they all have to have this and they all have to have that. But Puzzle Strike went to uh, like tokens in a bag instead of cards and it had like this whole thing where you were like attacking each other instead of just kind of building out your engine. So I think that did enough different stuff. But the exact same designer of Puzzle Strike, David Serlin, also did kind of like side scrolling a 1v1 fighting game that was pretty much identical to Reiner Knizia's On Guard like fencing game, except with special powers added on. Besides that, like there were almost zero differences in the gameplay, including like the decks being identical. And I think that that was like almost too close. Like it was almost the exact same game, but with some stuff added on. But you know what? <laughs> I still really like that game. I still really like that uh, on guard like redo because I thought the special powers and the varied characters made it a way more interesting and varied and enjoyable experience. So I guess that is to say, I almost don't think that it can ever be too close as long as you're not just copying the game. If you add a new theme that might appeal to different people, if you add a new narrative element, if you change up uh, some of the mechanics, if you add some like varied and new characters, I'm kind of cool with people being inspired by even very closely other games and kind of doing their own thing. Like another example, and sorry, Peter, I know you probably have a lot to say. Aeon Trespass Odyssey that I did a Kickstarter uh, video, you know, some videos for. That is, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, am I just playing Kingdom Death Monster? Like the board is the exact same size. It has like the same number of squares. It's a four characters versus one boss battler. But they added some cool new things to the combat that I think might make me like the combat better than KDM. And the outside of combat stuff is very different. Whereas KDM is like, just go back to your settlement and choose like what things you want to build and construct your stuff and craft your goods. Aeon Trespass is like a almost seventh continent like exploration game with choose your own adventure like elements and things. So yeah, I mean, I think you need to change something and make it your own in some way, but I really don't mind. I, I used to think I did and I got kind of mad when I was first playing, uh, playing Aeon Trespass, but 
you know, like whatever. Like if you're doing new stuff, I think it's fine. I think it's fair game. Put your spin on it. But, you know, more games and more options is usually not a bad thing. Well, and in general, I think it's not a bad thing because as gamers, we all start with, for the most part, more basic games and you work your way up and build your way up. And the reason you're able to do that is because some of the core mechanics are the same. There does need to be some amount of overlap with stuff you've played in the past if you want to add more complexity, right? If you're playing a very simple game and it's based on one mechanic similar to what Dominion did, then that's fine. You can, you don't have to have built on something else. But I feel like the more complexity you have in the game, the more similarities to other stuff people have done that you want to have. So that way you're not trying to learn 50 things at once. You're only learning one or two. So not only do I think it's not a bad thing, again, unless it's a blatant ripoff, right? But not only do I not think it's a bad thing, but I actually think it's a good thing to build on what we have. Not only that, but the first version of games aren't always the best version of that game. Now, there are certainly exceptions to that, but I think I'd rather play a lot of the deck builders above and beyond Dominion. So just because Dominion was the first one to do it doesn't mean it's the one I should play just because of nostalgia. I actually want to play other ones because I think they've done it better. And that's what I think game design is all about. It's an iterative process. Gloomhaven wasn't the first dungeon crawl, right? It wasn't even the first dungeon crawl to have spaces on a board and you move around and there's traps on the board and stuff like that. But without iterating on what came before it and and taking the best parts of those games and then changing the parts you don't like, I, I think that's great. I think that's what makes game design so cool and so neat and such a neat process. And that's why I think as a game designer, you have to play a bunch of different games because you have stuff to borrow from and like, oh, that mechanic's really cool. I see how it could be used in this setting and scenario. So no, I, I agree with you. I think Borrowing from other people's designs is a key element and a core element and why we should all be playing lots of games. Now, that being said, I think there are a lot of pitfalls to be aware of for our designers out there. If you hedge too close to a game, it could elevate your game like, oh, this is a cooler version of blank. But it could also lead to (laughs) negative comparisons and like, why would I ever want this game when I could have that game? Like if somebody came out with a, a game that was basically Gloomhaven but way less content and not as well done and not as varied in the characters you play and all that kind of stuff. You know, I I don't think that would sell very well. I think it would even do worse than a game that was more divorced from Gloomhaven and like kind of uh, more separate from it. Well, part of the problem is that if I own Gloomhaven, why would I buy something new? Exactly. Uh, Yeah. If I already own that similar game, you have to prove to me that you're better or why would I get the new one? I mean, it doesn't make sense to get it just because it's newer. I'd rather have what I already have than pay more money to buy something different. Yeah, and I think that that brings me back to the Sadler brothers. I think they maybe oversaturated their MDS system. Not that the rules were the same for each one, but I think it's a tough sell for somebody who already owns Street Masters, maybe already owns Brook City to like also get Alter Quest. And if they have all three of them, it's probably a little bit tougher for them to justifying also getting Hour of Need. And that's not just about like building on uh, the same mechanics. I think it's also just kind of like the idea of genre and type of game. Like some gamers only want to have like two worker placement games and some gamers only want to have one social deduction game. So that's sort of a different discussion, but it does just point out the, the possibility that if your game is building on another game in a way that is very visible to gamers and like very obvious, some of them might be like, yes, this is a better version. I want yours. But some of them will be like, I, I don't need this at all. This is this already I already have that spot filled in my collection. I don't need your version. 
Well, and it's not just that. I mean, there's the polyomino craze, right? And I forget which designer it was. I think it was the designer of Agricola. Yui Rosenberg, I think, is the one that made all these polyomino games, right? And, you know, they're very subtle differences between them. And there's going to be better ones and there's going to be worse ones. Well, if you put out like four in four years, I'm going to figure out which one's the best and just buy that one. I don't need to buy all of them. So you're actually almost competing in your own market sometimes. No, I do think with the Saddler Brothers, with their MDS system, I think that they made the games different enough. They evolved them and changed them enough to make them different experiences. And I, I think that's proven out by the fact that some people like some, but not the others. And it's different what different people like. I think my bigger problem with what they did there is they didn't evolve the system as much as I think they should have. They changed the parts around it, but they left the MDS the same, warts and all. I think MDS has some major flaws that they never addressed. The complexity, things like that were never addressed. It's like, why do you still have different encounter deck versus boss deck? Other games have put those two together and shown it works better. So why not evolve the system as you go along? So I do think if you are going to evolve a system, that you should evolve it, right? You should make it better, not take steps backwards or keep the bad parts as well as the good parts of it. Well, and I will say all of that is subjective. You know, like one one player will be like, wait, you removed everything I loved about the game. <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of like uh, sometimes uh, people will take a system and the way they build on it is to streamline it. And that can be the best thing ever for some players. And that can be totally ruined. Like I personally uh, prefer Forbidden Island and kind of the Forbidden series in general over Pandemic because I don't really like the core gameplay there anyway, so I'd rather have it be quicker and punchier. <laughs> Whereas, clearly, a lot of people love Pandemic way, way more than they like uh, Forbidden Island, for example. Well, sure. But, I mean, I think it's the thing that most people complained about, and I, I think Sentinels of the Multiverse kind of went back and did rethink it, right? And tried to make it less fiddly. Uh, and I don't know that, you know, that MDS system has evolved. Now, I haven't played the one you said I would really like was a superhero one, right? Yes, well, that, that hasn't come yet, so I'm very excited for Hour of Need to deliver at some point soon. Right, and, and, and I think they did streamline it a little bit, so I guess I'm being a little overly harsh here. But I, I think, I was just trying to point out examples. Like, if you're going to evolve a system, make sure you're evolving it and not just copying the system warts and all. Yeah, I mean, also, I think, I mean, at least we as game designers, we get pretty passionate about each of our designs. We're not just cranking out something because somebody told us, hey, we want this kind of a game. And I, I like to think that most designers are like that, too. It, it, it seems very cynical, especially in a small industry where we're probably not going to make a ton of money anyway. To just be like, I'm going to make I'm going to make Kingdom Death, but with this thing. or I'm going to make Gloomhaven, but with this one thing changed. So I don't, they don't say I'm copying it. Like, <laughs> I like to think that most designers have some passion or drive behind their designs and are just trying to cash a check, which, you know, if they are, that's fine too. You got to make your living. You got to make your money. Well, it's funny. We were just pitching a game not long ago, it, which is kind of a dungeon crawl. And people are like, oh, this is Gloomhaven, but different in this way. And it's like, we never even thought of it that way, right? But <laughs> it's one of those things where maybe people even see it. And I think you can't help but being informed by games you've played in the past. Maybe we did borrow some mechanics there that we hadn't even realized that we had borrowed from it. You know, it's obviously a very different playing game. Ours has tons of dice where Gloomhaven has no dice, right? So, like, right then and there, I thought it was different. It's like, oh, if it's by the same, you mean it's a dungeon crawl, then yes. But uh, so it's kind of funny how like people will see what they want to see and maybe you're influenced, even if that wasn't your design goal setting out. But, you know, you, you may end up with parts of that in there 
just because you've played these games yourself in the past. Absolutely. All right, so there you go. Uh, at least us, we we don't mind it. But hey, uh, feel free to jump on our Discord or leave a comment on the podcast wherever you want to talk to us. If you think that it's totally creatively, you know, defunct to copy other people's mechanics or imitate another game and add stuff to it, if you've got like the lowest of the low, uh, let us know. We can talk about it and, and work through our disagreements. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening and go play Testaments. Definitely recommend that one. And if you want to see more about Testament, don't forget on the main YouTube channel, we have a playthrough of Testament and a review, as well as I'm probably going to stream one here in the next couple of weeks. So by the time this podcast is up, there may be one on the YouTube stream channel as well. And links to both of those are in the show notes for the podcast. All right. So everyone have a great week of gaming and we'll see you in a week or two with another review. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey, Mike. Yeah. I found this alien spaceship in my backyard. I'm thinking about going in and seeing what I can find. Cool, dude. Just bring uh, three people with you and make sure one of them is a monk. (laughs) Only if I get to control all their actions. (laughs) That's right. They have no free will. You punch now.